0: Good morning, Thunderbird lovers. I'd like to welcome you to Ford Thunderbird, unique in all the world. Hello to all my Ford Thunderbird lovers and in general, antique car lovers. I'm coming to you once again from my basement studio in a chilly Morgantown, West Virginia. I'd like to take a moment and wish you all a Merry Christmas And I'd also like to apologize for the gap in my podcasting due to some recent family things, such as a marriage, such as surgery. I'm a little bit behind on my schedule of podcasts. This podcast is going to concern Thunderbirds from 1955 to 1963. Next week, I will be starting the podcast concerning the 1964, 65, and 66 Thunderbirds. The information for today's podcast can be found in detail at American Classics Thunderbird 1955 through 1966, written by Alan Tast. Today's podcast concerns problems with the 55 through 63 Thunderbirds that you might be interested in knowing if you're looking for this particular model. Please know that this is not an exhaustive list of problems that people complained about these cars, but it's enough to maybe interest you into looking into further avenues on these cars. Now, remember, I said the information came from American classics, Thunderbird, 1955 to 66, that was written by Alan Tast. It is one of the best resources I have found on information and factory bulletins concerning these cars. So, I advise you to try and find a copy of this. I have one, and I use it a lot for this podcast. I always seem to find little tidbits of information that helps me diagnose the problem of my own Thunderbird, which is a 63 coupe that was late in the production era. So, I'm fortunate in a lot of the bugs that they talked about seem to be worked out with my car. But, I can also see... Where these bugs started with my car, also. So let's get started with the 1955 Baby Bird. This was the first uh, rendition of the Thunderbird as we know it. What were some common complaints? No storage. The trunk took up almost two thirds, or the tire, the spare tire in the trunk took up almost two thirds of storage. When they put the hardtop on the car, there was a blind spot. The interior was extremely hot, and there was a clumsiness to operating the convertible top. It was not power at this point. So, 1955, remember, no storage, blind spot in the hard top, hot interior, due to the fact that the engine was set so far back in the car, it was almost actually up against the firewall, and the clumsiness of the convertible top. It should be interesting to note that when they switched to the 56 model, that the 56 and 57 model years were already being developed in 1955. The 1956 model, we saw the introduction of the Continental Tire Kit, the Continental Tire Kit on the back of the car, to address the um, lack of space in the trunk. But the problem with this, was the Continental tire kit was so heavy, it actually brought the front of the car up a little bit. And guess what the complaint was about? Correct steering problems. But they did correct the blind spot by putting in the porthole into the um, hardtop. The porthole became famous for 1956 and is one of the most distinguishing styling marks of the early Thunderbirds. Please, again, I'm going to say it again, American Classics Thunderbird, 1955 through 66, written by Alan Tast. It's a wonderful story of how that porthole was developed. I encourage you to read it. So, in 1956, problems with steering, but they corrected one of the problems by adding the porthole. Okay? Now, let's go on to 57. 57, they seem to have a lot of things worked out with the car. I'm gonna backtrack just a minute. I forgot to mention, in 56, they also added fresh air vents on the sides of the 56 that the driver could open and allow fresh air into the compartment. Um, They originally wanted to use some ductwork to bring that fresh air in, but due to the engineering challenges, it was cheaper just to add the vents. One way to pick up a 56 real quick is to look for the vents on the side. In '57, uh, one of the complaints was the car rode on 14-inch wheels, and also one of the complaints was concerning uh, the power seat option for the car. It was a dialomatic, and what this actually did was, when the car turned off, the seat slid back to the forward-most position, and then when you turned the car on, the seat came back to a Position that you had dialed in that memorized what position you wanted the seat in. This was a great advance, but one of the problems they found out with this was if the car stalled, say at a stoplight, the seat automatically moved back to its most rearward position, and some drivers couldn't reach the pedals to get the car restarted. So we'll see this option dropped pretty much um, by Ford in the upcoming Thunderbirds. Also, 57, you might wanna note that the Ford-O-Matic was introduced. And the Ford-O-Matic was pretty interesting in the fact that it was fluid-cooled transmission instead of the air-cooled transmission in the earlier cars. So that did that did help out a lot. So, we're gonna move on to 58. In 1958, the car was designed, now get this, the car was designed to have airbags these airbags were in the suspension, not in the interior. Um, About 200 Thunderbirds in 1958 were produced with their airbag suspension. It didn't work. And in fact, in some cases it was reported it took over 20 minutes for the airbags to fill up to bring the Thunderbird up to a safe uh, road riding position. So About after these original 200 were out on the road and there were numerous complaints, Ford went back to a more standard system of uh, leaf springs, um, shock absorber suspension. But the problem was the geometry of the car was all figured out for these airbags. So the first 200 early production 58 Thunderbirds really suffered from poor handling. You might wanna take that into consideration if you're looking at a 58 see what time it was produced and if the modifications were retrofitted to the car because Ford did have several um, factory bulletins on retrofitting the cars. Uh, In 1959, the 430-inch cubic inch Lincoln engine was added to the Ford Thunderbird. It was still sitting on 14-inch tires, which were a problem, but the suspension was all new. Went back to a more traditional... uh, early late 50s early 60s suspension type setup with leaf springs and stuff although they did this the car was so heavy with the engine handling was always kind of a complaint because the Thunderbird the Thunderbird was evolving into a boulevard cruiser not a pseudo sports car um In 59, uh, there was also a complaint about the placement of the horns. thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so they, there's a bulletin that actually came out about replacing the horns. I thought that was good. Um, I think you're gonna find, and I'm gonna step back again. I'm sorry it's a little disjointed, but it's been a while since I've done my podcast, so I apologize for it being a little disjointed. I wanted to mention in the 57, uh, they did do away with the Continental kit. They did move the gas tank which allowed them to drop the spare tire instead of it laying flat on the trunk floor to allow to drop the spare tire in a vertical position which did open up the trunk space. So if you open up the 57, if you open up the 57 trunk, you'll see a full size spare, to your right, sitting in a vertical position, and probably you can get about two pairs of golf clubs into the car now. Um, So I did want to mention that. Sorry that i kind of jumping around on you there a little bit, okay? In 1960, we see about 2,536 of the new Thunderbirds with a sunroof. This wasn't a heavily picked option, and it's a shame that it wasn't. We also see the brake booster being moved from under the dash to on the firewall. So that's something you wanna look out for. Um, The first years, when they change the models, the first years are the ones you wanna be the most cautious about. So like the 55, the 58 you want to start being cautious a little bit about those models if you come up on them there was a lot of service bulletins put out about the cars you know the first time the first year you build a new model and the amount of recalls that we see today in the modern car industry didn't really happen back then as much and there were service bulletins put out to fix the cars well as you know now some of us with recalls tend to chuck the the letter over to the side. Even today, some of us, even we know the car has been recalled, we don't take the car back to the garage to be fixed. So one of the reasons why I encourage you to look up specific models and one of the reasons for this podcast to give you what was kind of wrong with the cars at the time that people were complaining about, although people complained about them, they always didn't take them back to the dealer to get them fixed. So you might, in the years 2000s, that you might run into the same problems that they ran back into in the late 50s, early 60s with these cars because they hadn't been fixed by the owner. That's kind of the reason for the podcast. In the 60s, they complained about the battery being dead a lot. Well, they found out that the convertible tops that they, uh, they were still draining, on the battery even after they were down and when the engine wasn't running it became a problem. In 61 there were leaks around the antenna gasket. Uh, There was a short supply of the valve covers that read Thunderbirds so some of the Thunderbirds in 61 will have valve covers that simply say Ford. Might not be a problem but it's kind of a unique thing to look for. 61 had a problem with um, the tanks the gas tanks cracking and the filler nicks cracking uh, you might want to keep an eye out for that although ford put out service bulletins on these uh, sometimes they just didn't get fixed in 62 uh, when they introduced a the tono cover on the sports roadster the outer corners of the tono cover would warp um, again ford fixed this but you might find a tono cover that wasn't fixed Uh, The Kelsey wire wheels um, broke. They found out that they didn't put, um, the uh, wires weren't heavy enough, weren't tensioned enough. And actually one of the most famous cases was Elvis Presley's sports roadster. The Kelsey wheels broke on it and almost caused him to wreck. Um, The 62 model uh, featured some steering problems. And this was due to the piston size in the power steering booster again something that was fixed by ford uh but you might run into a car that still has it uh 63 we found out had an alternator added to it but the alternator buzzed and made noise you know once again i'm sure by this time most alternators on 63s have been replaced but you might run into one that has the problem Uh, The suspension for 63 was beefed up, all the steering components, the shock towers, everything was beefed up, so that's nice to know. Uh, One of the things that caused me problems on my Thunderbird, which is a 63, uh, they started using hydraulic fluid, power steering fluid that was drawn from the steering gearbox to run the wipers. Well, they ran the wipers pretty good, but if any dirt got introduced into the system, uh, your wipers quit working. Uh, once again, there was a steering gearbox complaint, and on a '63, the rear tail lights sometimes were not grounded right. Again, Ford fixed all these, but you might run into one that doesn't have it. Um, the power steering, or power steering—I'm sorry—the power window switches got moved to the center console on a '63, and the first run of cars, a lot of them were improperly wired. Mine, for instance, up was actually down and down was actually up. Mine were actually wired backwards in the car and they were the original switches. But I want, to, I want to caution you, even though this is a very short list of problems and things with the 55s through 63s, Ford made a concerted effort because these cars were built along with Lincoln's and these were a prestige car for Ford. Ford made a A commitment to getting these things fixed and they did listen to the consumer on these cars and even if you look through the old magazines of the time that review the Thunderbirds even though they had a problem classifying what the car really was they always did end with saying this was one of the best-built cars of the era that even though I went over some of these problems these were the best-built cars of the era And they always, always came back to that point. Even though the car magazines had a problem figuring out if the car was a sports car, if it was a Boulevard Cruiser. Even some people thought it might be somewhat of an economy car. Never could figure out that one, but found it interesting. But they always did conclude that no matter what they thought the car was, it was very well built. I'm just bringing this up not to bash Thunderbirds, because I love them deeply, but to give you an idea that You know, they're still not perfect cars, even though many Thunderbird lovers think they are. Well, I hope that helps. I'm going to close for the day. I want you to remember that the next podcast is going to start concerning the 64, 65, and 66 T-Birds. Okay? And remember, as always, drive those antiques. And once again, Merry Christmas.